The Israeli Tech Radar is an opinionated map of the latest technologies and trends in the Israeli tech industry. Now in its fifth edition, the Tech Radar was built in collaboration with Monday, Wix, Riskified, NetApp, Taboola, and many other tech companies. Lior Confi is the CEO of Tikal. In this episode, we interview Lior about the Tech Radar, as well as his thoughts for addressing the current tech talent shortage. Well, Lior, welcome back to Software Engineering Daily. Yeah, it's great to be back. For listeners who maybe haven't had a chance to go back and hear your first appearance, or if that's queued up next, could you give us a quick reminder of your background? Sure. My name is Lior. I'm a CEO of Tikal. Tikal is a dev tech consultancy company, over 20 years of experience, 150 employees based in Israel, working with Israeli high-tech companies and Silicon Valley. And we have five domains of expertise. We are in the back-end, DevOps, machine learning, front-end, mobile. And we are mostly a scaling partner for customers, meaning a lot of customers that are trying to scale their product and they are, you know, focusing on their product. We bring to the table the technology back, meaning let's not find ourselves in a couple of months or years with a big technical debt. And every Ticalist, as we call us, employees are helping customers boost their tech stack and bring their knowledge into the product. Gotcha. Well, running an organization of that size, you have your own staff to build and working with clients, you see the ebb and flow of their hiring needs. So I'm sure you're well aware of the talent shortage people have been discussing. Could you share a little bit of your perspective on it? Yeah, sure. First of all, you know, we are second year in the corona epidemic, and we see that there is acceleration of tech adoption, meaning something that we thought that would happen in a decade is happening in one or two years. Second, we see that a lot of big tech companies are getting a lot of traction, and they are looking for talent, and they are opening their pockets. So we see a lot of money out there. Also in Israel, we see a lot of Israeli unicorn surge, meaning a lot of companies are becoming evaluated as a unicorn, and there is a very high scale of shortage in the talent. So we see a lot of demand from their side. So all these things bring together something that we've already been there, meaning there is a tech talent shortage for a long time, but it's accelerated and surged a lot. And it's kind of bringing a lot of madness to the market. Certainly the coronavirus plays a big role in that. People, as you said, the demand for technology has increased maybe more than we expected it. Is it strictly a demand-side situation or have supply-side things changed as well? Yeah, there are some changes in the supply chain because you see, because of the remote work that the coronavirus added, a lot of people that were located remote, were located very far away, suddenly can participate in the tech scene in all the big cities and in all the big headquarters. So it means that there aren't some new players in the market, but basically the demand is so high that the supply chain can't meet it. So we see that there is a lot of salary increase and a lot of attraction. Gotcha. Yeah. So companies are competing for scarce resources. That'll drive the prices up. I guess that's good for professionals, but not quite as good for companies who'd like to have bigger workforces. 
do you have any thoughts on the solution for this? How do we, is it more training we need to bring in the right number of professionals to meet the demand? Yeah, I think that the, if we, we want to go on the offensive approach, meaning you need to design your organization, a better tech career path programs, meaning you start to think about your training program from a side of upskilling and reskilling. So it means that you start to see who do I hire. It means that you can't only wait for the market to make more experienced people or seniors. You need to play a role in it. So a lot of companies need to start with the entry level and bring to the table a program like boot camps that we know outside needs to bring that into their approach. So, you know, it's, there is a vicious cycle here. On one hand, the organization are looking for experienced people. On the other side, there is the entry level or juniors which looks for experience and no one opens the door for them. So I think that a lot of time we put it on the universities and schools and the government ask them to accelerate and create programs. On the current situation, I think that companies need to get into their planning and start doing internal boot camps that will bring the entry-level people to independency, meaning they are enabled to start working and participating in the features of the product and helping the company to scale. That makes a lot of sense. I think, the, as you said, the university system, it's, we can't place the blame there. A lot of the tools that I work with professionally in a software capacity, they didn't exist yet when I was in university. I mean, the cloud wasn't even a thing yet when I was there. So uh, it's sort of a life of ongoing learning and things like that. Could you share any advice or lessons learned you've had in your time running the company? How do you foster an environment like that? What we do basically is that we are using the model of the TechRadar. TechRadar is a kind of a model that we examine the technology and the stack that we use on a level from things that we need to start trying, meaning things that we don't put in production yet, till things that start, meaning we can start using them in production. There is another ring that we have in the radar is a thing that we are keep you doing, and there is the stop, which is currently things that we detect that. I think these rings are more resembled to the landing stages that everybody are experiencing, meaning, you know, when you start at the entry level, there's a lot of things that you don't know yet that you don't know. So basically, you need to try with them. So as a professional company, we do a lot of research around new technologies, and we bring in a back to our companies and to our employees to start trying things that the market doesn't use yet. For instance, you know, we, we used Kubernetes a long time ago, and we some kind of pay a lot of effort to succeed with it because we sensed the trends of it. So as a company, if you need to look, you know, on one side, you have the product, and you need to see how you accelerate your features and you listen to your customers. But on the other hand, you need to understand that a lot of engineers are taking a, a very big part of it and they would like to have a personal development. So you, as an organization, you need to start to think about your technology adoption and how you use it. And you can't, you know, sometimes you need to break the backward compatibility rules on all those things and in order to bring a new innovation to your product. Makes sense. 
Well, having been an early adopter of Kubernetes, you've certainly picked the right pony there, and it's now become so ubiquitous. But it wasn't always clear that that was going to be the winner for orchestration of container management. There were other competitive tools, maybe still are out there. When you're selecting early technologies and trying to keep up with the leading edge or the bleeding edge, how do you know the winners from the, I guess, the losers or the the sideline players? You know, it's kind of a further things that we do. First of all, you listen to the market, you listen to the tech news, you listen to the conferences, you see what's going on. Second, you start trying it. Because we are having a dozen of customers, we can consult with them and see how they react to the new technology and how would they would like to use it. So if you, if you are only an evangelist and you're trying to promote it, but at the end decide the ears of the customer doesn't listen to it, so you need to find a ways and see if it's adapt, if it's a fit to their needs. So we are trying to do some POCs with customers and see how it goes. And while working with them, we see the, the product, we see where it fits to, and we see the adoption. So it's kind of a mixture of listening a lot and doing and putting our opinion into it. At the end, it's kind of, you know, an opinionated uh, way of doing Makes sense. You'd mentioned the Israeli tech radar. For listeners not familiar with it, can you tell us what it is? Yeah, we kind of took the model of uh, ThoughtWorks, where we're doing the tech radar, and we powered our information with it. What we are doing is, on one hand, we are creating the radar based on our activities in dozens of customers in Israel and in, in Silicon Valley. And on the other hand, we participate, we, we added new companies from Israel, you know, engineering like Wix, Riskify, Facebook Israel, and other companies, Monday, and we put it into their table radar and we let a lot of influencers from those companies to influence the Israeli radar. And at the end, after a long discussion, we created the radar. And the radar is basically saying, on one hand, what's the technologies that you need to try, start, keep, or stop doing? On the other hand, what are the trends that you need to pay attention as a VP R&D or a CTO? And we publish it on June 2021. It's our fifth edition of the radar. And on a regular days, and we are planning to do it right now, we are creating a conference around the radar for helping the CTO, VP R&Ds, and developers to celebrate technology and to celebrate their passion to technology. Got it. I love that breakdown of technologies to, I guess, stop using, to keep, to start, or to try. Those are a really nice range of options to be thinking about. You've done this a couple times now. How much mobility do you see across the years? Are people moving up and down the scale a lot? Yeah, you, you know, there are some, let's say, if you take it a long time ago, you know, Ruby was a king of queen or king of, of uh, technology, and now we see that it's in a stop ring, meaning we are a, a thing that Ruby, you shouldn't use the Ruby as a first language, only on a very specific use cases. On the other hand, you see that sometimes there are technologies that are getting to try and stack in the try for a long, long time because the market is not ready for them yet. And as we mentioned before, Kubernetes is a very popular Topic, a technology topic that's, you know, from try, which was thinking as a thing that was not mature yet, 
it's you know it's currently the most important technology that came out and it's the base of cloud today cloud native and I think it's a kind of thing that very resembled to the Linux operating system so it's a kind of a very exciting time to see that how you know very young technology became the core of most of our products today the category that's the most interesting to me is the try category because I'm someone who likes to go and get my hands dirty do a hello world you know learn about a new tool and there's certainly no shortage of options of things for me to try out there I imagine it was hard to whittle down the list of things to put into your try category could you talk a little bit about the process of selecting what technologies and companies get featured okay sure sure we have an internal forum in Tikal, which we call the Tech Circle, which is divided to domains. For instance, there is a Tech Circle of a backend, and they are meeting once in two weeks, and, you know, and doing roundtable and bringing out their macro reading list and things that they see. And when someone points out a new topic, they are trying to research it. And meaning they use it and they see and they're doing some content around it, meaning they're doing a lightning talk or doing a workshop with it. And after we get more of our hands-on on it, we start examining with customers if it fits to their use cases. And we're starting to do some research with the customer or design with it as a design partner. And while we see that, we can, you know, bring it up to the start ring. So basically, it's a lot of research time that people in Tikal are putting in, and they are trying new things, and there is a lot of discussion around it, and some kind of, it's one of our core advantage because we can gain a macro level or a wider perspective of the market. You know, each company, each tech company is, is focusing on a product on their tech stack, and they sometimes can't see the whole picture. And Tikal, as, as a professional company that's working with dozen and hundreds of tech companies, can somehow aggregate the experience and put it on the table. Gotcha. And there's four key areas that the radar covers. Could you tell me broadly what those are? Yeah. DevOps, which you already, we all know, which is a very practice, very major practice today, which related to infrastructure and cloud. Backend and machine learning, we are putting them right now together meaning all the infrastructure, application infrastructure and, and development, front-end, which is uh, all the front-end development, and mobile, which are native cross-platform in hybrid remote uh, mobile uh, solutions. We are based on open source, so it means that the radar is only promoting open source components, but if some uh, you know commercial component is, is surging somehow, we mention it, but we don't put it as a key feature from our side. So it's kind of appreciated to open source also. Interesting. Can you tell me more about that choice? Certainly open source is becoming kind of the de facto standard in a lot of cases. We're seeing, you know, the sort of as a service model type offering being yeah. popular. But there still are closed source solutions and that's not intrinsically bad per se. No, no, there is also the open core model, which takes open source and uh, put in a lot of commercial usage around it. It's kind of, you know, we are open source supporters from the, you know, 2000, while the open source was a vicious word on those days. <laughs> and we believe in open source and we think that we need to keep ourselves agnostic 
to vendors, meaning because if you start exploring one vendor, you find yourself into their ecosystem and you're putting yourself into their, let's say, commercial needs and interests. So basically, we say, for instance, you can use, for instance, let's take an, an old technology like Oracle database, you can use it, but we as a company, we don't believe in supporting it, meaning if you can use it, if it's right for you, but basically we are trying to promote free software and open source software, and we believe that it's kind of a thing that's coming from bottom up, and it's probably, and I think it's, as you said, it's it's becoming the factor. It's meaning that the way of creating software today from bottom up, it's a better solutions at the end. Although in the early days, it's very hard to get the great user experience, but, you know, at the start, it's more oriented to developers. Makes sense. Would you compare the radar to the Gartner Magic Quadrant? How do these things compare and contrast? It's a good question. I'm not in-depth in the Gartner on their side. I think it's uh, less, I think Gartner is taking it in a more wider perspective. I wouldn't compare Tikal to Gartner from our side. We are more like a consultancy company, which put their opinionated opinionated about technology into a model which we think is very appropriate. And as I said in the start, it's, it's based on ThoughtWorks model in somehow. So it's a kind of thing that we believe in. So I don't have a depth knowledge to compare the two models. Well, as I go through it, I find a lot of things that are very intuitive to me. You know, stop using Python 2. That's a great one to be on the radar in the stop category. And also a list of other technologies I want to take a look at. Have you found that when you release these iterations of the radar and people start looking, that these make major impacts on some of the decisions your clients make about how to move forward? Yeah. You know, as a CEO of the company, I sometimes have discussions with customers. And when we just released our latest radar, one of our customers wrote a testimonial that said that it's one of his key decision-making tool to do a text selection, meaning it depends on the life cycle that you are into. You know, if you're a mature tech company, probably sometimes you will find yourself, you know, already invested in tech stack and you couldn't, but, you know, when you are too much invested, you need to look at the stuff and see if you are not taking the wrong direction on a mixture of, you know, doing product and technology. On the other hand, when you're a new company, it's sometimes a very good guide because it lets you know what's the, let's say, the king of the stack right now you should use. So it's, I hear from a lot of my customers that it's a good decision for them to select the technology. And when you're looking at it, let's say someone is, is checking out the radar and they're a founder at a young startup with some ambitious technology, what are the steps for them to try and get listed? First of all, they need to, you know, make attraction through open source, meaning it's something that should be open sourced in the radar. Sometimes we put things that are commercial, but basically, for instance, sometimes someone approach us and, and ask for us to, you know, to explore new tools and to give our opinion as a design partner. And we start listening to the things that he's using and we try to see if our customers are starting to use it. So it's basically based on hands-on experience, meaning if you would like to get into the radar, you should get adoption. That makes sense. Good advice in many ways, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm curious, since you've been doing this for so many years and there's been iterations of it, 
Have you been able to pick out any trends? Are there things that are, are changing or evolving in the tech landscape? Yeah, while the model of the tech radar is around the strike stop and keep and start, on the other hand, we are putting trends in the latest radar. We have uh, five trends that we, you know, are cross domains, and one of them is we see that a lot of organizations are going back to monorepo or are debating if they are needs to go to monorepo, and there is a lot of distinguishing between structuring monorepo inside big companies. Another trend is the cloud-native environment. We see that a lot of companies are creating cloud-native environments for their developers. Is it local environments or hybrid environments that you can remotely debug? As we discussed, the DevOps shift left. It's the, the DevOps practices. You know, the CI/CD is more and more becoming commodity, and you see that there's a lot of FinOps and SecOps sub-practices that DevOps people need to get into. Also, the rise of the platform engineering, meaning we see that a lot of big companies, we see on one hand the squad teams, meaning that there is pair subsystem, a squad team that is working or a feature team that is working on specific feature, and there is a mixture of back-end, front-end, DevOps people. On the other hand, we see that a lot of companies that become very big and, and want to do some standards around infrastructure are creating a platform team, which is a kind of an internal product team. And as we started in, in this podcast, we see that the fifth, uh, which is sometimes a more soft trend, is the tech skill shortage is surging. And as, as you mentioned, I have been in the show before and on those times, before the coronavirus, the remote work was one of our trends. We already, in 2019, said that remote work is going to change software engineering. So as, as you see, that you know, we had some help from the pandemic, but on the hand, what we see here today is that the shortage of tech skills shortage is changing software engineering practices. Somehow, we need to start thinking about training programs as an engineering company. It's not something that we buy from outside. It's meaning that we need to recruit and train our people. And it's not, it doesn't stop only in the entry level. You need to create a program for all your career paths, meaning the engineers, the seniors, the tech leads. Each one of them has a specific program that you need to create from them. For instance, a tech lead in Tikal, we have already for 11 time running internal course for tech leads, meaning how to become someone that's making an impact. And you know, most of our employees are coming to computers because mostly they would like to work with computers and not people. They don't want to be managers, but somehow when you need to make an impact, you need to sharpen your soft skills. So we are doing a lot of soft skills training inside Tikal in order to make people or make developers and engineers more tech leads. And also, you know, when you are an engineer, how do you become senior? You know, there is a debate. What is the senior leader? You know, each company is defined a senior in a different way. But at the end, a senior is someone that makes an influence on his team. Is someone that someone looked into it. So it's basically, as a company, if you want to hire and retain, you need to think about the tech career path and the tech career radar. How do you use it in order to make your ecosystem, your engineering ecosystem, more attendable and more adjusted to the market needs today. 
You'd mentioned that being an internal process. I'm familiar with a lot of companies that will have something like, you know, a, a stipend for education or they'll get a boot camp that their employees can use, things like that. But I, was, I noticed that you emphasized the internal nature of yours. Can you talk a little bit about the advantages or if that's all totally required? Does this have to be an internal product or can we go out and, and bring in training from outside? It's a good question because I'm taking a part a little bit in internal camps in inside our companies, which are we are a training provider for them. Meaning because one of our practices is doing a lot of internal work and get out with it after we doing some practices inside. So basically what we're doing, we're doing a lot of internal training inside for all around the levels of entries inside TICAL, you know, from expertise levels to entry levels to tech leads. And because of the surge need for tech skills, we see that a lot of companies are starting to think, how do we create our internal bootcamp? And there we are participating as a consultant and also as a training provider. We have a business unit which is called Academy, Tikal Academy, and we are providing a lot of, we are taking a lot of our internal content and commercializing it as a professional service. Gotcha. Very cool. Well, one of the trends you'd mentioned was the process of continuous integration, continuous deployment becoming more and more commoditized, which I'm very yeah. happy to see. I benefit from that directly. Will we also see a decline in titles like change management engineer? And you refer to change management, the things that we called in the past a clear case and things like that, or you're referring for things like infrastructure changes that, you know, chef and all those. Yeah, I guess that it's it's long been someone's profession to do a lot of the things that are now becoming tool-oriented. And I don't think those people go unemployed. They just get repurposed. They're smart engineers. Yeah. But it could also be just with the growth of technology, not much is going to change because everything's growing. Yeah. Basically, you know, the DevOps, as we call it, on let's take six, seven years ago, we called it application lifecycle management. You know, it was a different mm -hmm. name. Because it was all around the SDLC, the software cycle, software development life cycle. Basically, what we see today is that a lot of tools are becoming more usable to developers. So a lot of the practice from the DevOps are shifting to the developers as users for it. So the DevOps are more and more becoming specialized in things like infrastructure or things like security or the cost of things. Let's take, for instance, the machine learning. You see that is, there is an increased demand for MLOps, meaning the pipelines and the software development processes for machine learning are different from the microservices and distributed systems. So you see that there is a lot of specializing inside the DevOps arena. And referring to change management, I think it's what was called infrastructure as a code is more and more becoming a commodity. You see a lot of environments which are automating in Terraform and other tools. And in the end, you find, you see, for instance, we are using a lot of Argo, Argo CD and all its workflows. And you see that there are, you know, somehow you get a click and you have an environment for it, for your usage. So DevOps are becoming more engineers. You know, some of the DevOps careers started as a system Linux system or thing like that, and they are becoming more and more engineers from sysadmin. And on the other hand, you see that a lot of backend developers, which came from the application side, starting to use DevOps 
tools and they are becoming in love with it, so they're becoming what we call SREs, which is it's a sub-domain in the DevOps area. Gotcha. Well, you have your pulse on a lot of the trends and changes, and we've also discussed you know, this need for education. If there are ambitious software engineers, especially up-and-coming ones listening, do you have any advice for where they should focus their efforts on the tools and techniques they're learning? First of all, you know, cloud native, it's something basic. You need to understand it, work with it, all the tools around it. Second, it's cloud. You know, if you're getting out from, you know, your first degree, you need to know that it's not only creating small programs, you need to work with the cloud and understand how to work with it and the ecosystem of all its services. More and more we see that React on the front end is becoming the standard de facto and you need to be someone, if you like the front end expertise, you need to use React for sure. And there is a lot of name dropping that I can help put in it, but it's basically these are the core tools today to create a good product, technology product. Within the tech radar and the four areas, DevOps, backend, mobile, and front-end, that's quite a lot to cover. I don't think I can consider myself an expert in all of the quadrants by any means. Is it important to be full stack, or is there a benefit for people being deep specialists these days? In Tikal, we believe it's what we call T-shaped people. On one hand, you need to, you know, if you take a pool, you need to learn to swim. You know, after you're learning to swim, you need to deepen your swimming and try to dive into a more specific area. So on one hand, I can be a front-end developer and deepen my knowledge in front-end. But on the other hand, I need to broaden my experience and work with back-end for front-end and work with DevOps. And as let's not someone that is expert in, but can use it and use it smoothly. So this is basically what we call the T-shape personnel, meaning on one hand, I'm cross full stack. On the other hand, I'm dipping with one of those expertise. I like that analogy, definitely. You'd mentioned organizing a conference around the radar. What's the status of that? We are planning to do a week of celebration, which will be in the end of December, and we are doing it in a hybrid mode, meaning we'll start with a physical day, and, you know, Jeff was our keynote speaker in 2019. And we'll start with keynote speaking about the trends. And it will be a half day. And after that, we'll split to tracks per domain, which will be online around the week. And we'll finish with a hackathon. And the idea with the hackathon is to bring entry level and juniors to the hackathon and help companies to explore with them their expertise, meaning we'll take the radar and we'll create a theme around the radar for the hackathon and we'll bring our customers and we'll bring our TICAL professional and we'll bring entry-level people and make a fusion between them and to see how maybe after you know a company will work with the entry-level people, they will feel it and touch base them and they will maybe will recruit them. I would like you know to help increasing the supply chain you know, the supply side of the supply chain. Well, tell us a few more details. Where can we follow up for either in-person or virtual tickets? The Save the Date will be released soon, so I probably I can't. It's, it's going to be in the last week of December, and it's going to be in Israel in the physical. 
and online you should look for Tech Radar Day. It's the old website, but we are creating a new website around it right now. Yeah, people can check in as December gets closer. Yeah. You know, I heard a statistic recently, and I wish I'd written it down, but it was something like in Israel, there are more unicorn tech companies per capita than anywhere else in the world. What's so special there that you're able to produce so many high-valued companies? I think it's basically part of our culture, let's say, the status and the the way that our company was built, which was kind of a startup, you know, in the early days of Israel. So basically, we see that a lot of culture in Israel, a lot of young people are getting into the army, and they're getting a lot of responsibility. And when they're taking out, you know, or finishing their reserve duty, they're starting to see that they are have a lot of responsibility, have a lot of ideas, because they worked with a very big organization, and they are thinking, how can I improve the world? And because we are very, you know, Israelis are very less standard ways and less systematic sometimes, they are bringing a lot of uh, adventure and entrepreneurship into the table. And what happened is while we're doing it for two decades, we are becoming more and more good in it. So you see that a lot of companies, if, if you take a decade ago, a company in Israel would, let's say, do two rounds and try to be sell, sold to one of the big tech companies or, or U.S. tech company. Today, we see a lot of Israeli companies which are aiming to go to IPO and to be a unicorns because the management and the technology in Israel are more and more mature today. So it's very, very appealing today to be a tech company in Israel. And you see that the demand is very high. And there is a success, as you see. I think there was uh, around more than a dozen IPOs from Israeli companies in the last months in the New York or NASDAQ. Wow, that's quite a few. Yeah. And I believe you also have a presence in San Francisco. Can you or do you have any compare and contrast moments of doing work and having offices in both places? You know, it was very, on 2019, I was taking a lot of flights and coming and working with customers and doing a lot of talks and uh, meeting people. And today it changed a lot. I'm working from remote. I'm doing a lot of video conferencing and it's kind of a different way. Uh, on one hand is, you know, the interpersonal uh, connection is lost, but on the other hand, you're more, you're, you have more mobility. And suddenly, you know, we are a medium sized company and suddenly with Less investment, we can start creating a footprint in uh, Silicon Valley. And currently, we are using our Israeli connection, meaning that because there is a lot of Israelis also in, in Silicon Valley, we are using our Israeli connections to work with Israeli-based companies. So it's basically, you know, it's moved from a lot of flights and a lot of interpersonal connections to remote work and working with people around the world on a different time zone. Yeah, earlier you had described this, if I recall correctly, as being sort of an acceleration of processes that were happening. Do you think this is very much a new normal and we're going to have remote work and distributed teams? Or do you imagine a day when we'll converge back to the way things used to be? No, no, no. We also had, we did a survey in Israel, which we called the Remote Work Report. And we see that one of the trends that were there is that employees see office as an option, meaning on one hand, they can come two or three times a week 
to the office. On the other hand, when you ask them to come to the office, they will say that you're taking their freedom. Remote work is giving a freedom to people, and people like freedom, and they won't lose it. Meaning, you see that one of the pricks that was changed in the way is that most of the people are asking, how do you work? What is your working style? And different people speak about hybrid remote differently. And you see also companies which I very respect, like GitLab, that are acting all remote from day one. So you see that the future work, probably it will be remote, and each company will take it to the different interpretation. Well, with your work at Tikal, you must have a looking glass into the operations of a lot of your client customers. I'm sure some of them have weathered the transition better than others. Maybe let's look on the positive side. Are there any features of companies that were successful that had good strategies that people could replicate? You mean from the methodology side or things like that? Sure, or even just operations, successfully transitioning to remote work. Mm, okay, working style, you mean. Okay. Let's say that at start, what we saw that most of the company did a mimicking the office style using video. And what we see that the main operating things that you need to do is move to two dimensions. One is more, you know, the information must be transparent. In order to work remotely, okay, great, you need to make more and more documentation all across the company. The second dimension is the async, asynchronous work, meaning what I see that companies which adapting tools and adapting work styles, for instance, for each meeting that you're creating, creating an online doc agenda for the meeting, all those kind of small tips that's making you work like asynchronously at the end, what I see that companies that are starting to work distributed, starting to accelerate and scale more at the end. because. When you try to synchronize everything, you find yourself sometimes, you know, in some kind of a semaphore or bottleneck. Good advice, definitely. Well, we've talked quite a bit about the tech radar. To wind up, tell listeners where they can go find it. Okay, so it's on our website, tikalk.com, under a section which is called Community, and you find there the radar and also the remote work report, both for our publications. And there you can explore also the coming tech conference and also the tech writer itself. Lots of great resources to go check out. Lior, thank you so much for coming on Software Engineering Daily. Thank you very much. It's great to be back and uh, say hey back to Jeff. Absolutely. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you.